0: get to Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39, we notice that that has, of course, fallen on the heels of much teaching, a lot of teaching about election, a lot of teaching about believing, a lot of teaching about justification and adoption, and we're going to be looking at some of those. We're actually going to be talking about the gospel. Paul uses in Romans chapter 1 as he starts his letter to these people, and his teaching upon those subjects that I've just mentioned. He mentions the gospel, I think it is four times. He speaks of the, he speaks of the, uh, the, he's set apart in the first part of that chapter as a uh, servant, or set apart for the gospel of God. And in the a little farther down in that same chapter, he speaks of the fact that he is serving the gospel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And a little farther along, he says, Well, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power, and that's verse 16 and 17 where I'm at right now, for it is the power of God for salvation or unto salvation to everyone who believes, underline the word believe. To everyone who believes, it is the power of God, the gospel is, unto or for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, in the gospel, which is the power of God, the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith that the who righteous might live by faith or you might say by faith the righteous will live the people who are righteous they will live by faith and that will be their that will be the a catalyst which promotes them and We're going to be looking at several different scriptures, so we're going to be doing a lot of turning, and if you don't want to try to keep up with me, then it'd be okay if you have a pencil to write these down and go home, these scriptures that we'll be using, and perform some homework together, dad with your kids, or mom with your kids, or husband and wife together. Go over the scriptures that we're going to be looking at and meditate on those through the week or this night. We notice that one of the names, which uh, there's many names respecting the church, it's referred to as the bride of Christ, it's referred to as the body of Christ, and it's also referred to as the elect of God. The church is the elect of God. And each one of the living members is one whose name is written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, Revelations chapter 17, verse 18 speaks of that. If you want to look there with me, Romans chapter 17, I mean, Revelations chapter 17, verse 8 speaks of this when it says, The beast that you saw was, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Written, their names have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. But then I would suggest that we have another other scriptures that tell us that the name our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as He chose us in Him, even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Before the foundation of the world. Elect, says Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, you are the elect, the elect of God again, As referring to the church, you're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience unto Jesus Christ. And there is a history that belongs to the elect of God. The history of the chosen ones of God is summed up for us in Romans chapter 28. I mean, verse chapter eight, verse 28 through 30. You've still got your fingers there in Romans eight. Look with me at verses 28 through 30. And I'm saying that this is the history of the elect or the chosen ones summed up for us in the word of God. Verse 28, and this we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Well, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Also, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We're a glorified people. That is the history of God's elect people. Each of the people is born into the world in a state. We are born into this world in a state of condemnation, but each is brought in believing into an act of no condemnation. Romans chapter 8, again, verses 1 and 2. After Paul has recognized in chapter 7 that he's a wretched man, asking the question, who would deliver me from this body of death? He says in verse 25 of chapter 7, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that I am delivered. So then I myself serve the law of God with the mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. How did that happen? It happened because God has done what... The law weakened by the flesh could not do, he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. Remember in your minds as we're going along, think about the, our definition that I'm sure every one of you has memorized from our shorter catechism, what is justification. It's a very important uh, memory work for all of us. Justification is what is is an act of God's free grace, wherein He forgives all our sins. And what else does He do? He accepts us as righteous in His sight. He doesn't just for. Forgive us his sins, but he also accepts us or puts us in a position a position in his presence a position of righteousness we have God's righteousness and we know that it's only for the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us and that we receive by faith alone now Go look at your Shorter Catechism, and you can give the Scripture references yourself. But remember that, that not only are we a people that have been forgiven our sins, but we are a people who have a standing of acceptance. We're a people who stand righteously before God because of what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, reconciliation in the present, reconciliation that we're conscious of. It's not just forgiveness, my friends. It is a complete forgiveness. Faith has been given to us, which is a gift of God, and that faith introduces us to this Gift of justification, this free grace of God that works in our life, and unbelief alone can keep us out. Justification is ours. Justification, certain, immediate, and a justification, listen, immutable and unchanging. It does not change. Justification from all that condemns is now our portion. Somebody say amen somewhere. Justification is now our portion, a justification that frees us from all that condemns. Not later, friends, but now. Now. And so, in thinking of those believers, forgiven, justified, adopted, the apostle asked a question, and this is key to us in our text this morning, in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. He asked this question then. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who can do that? Who, he says in verse 34, is to condemn? Who is, to con- who is going to condemn? Our believing, the gospel of forgiveness... In believing that, on believing that, you're placed beyond the reach, beyond the risk of impeachment and of being cast out of the presence of God. Because you don't just have an empty slate. You don't just have an empty account book. The account book is empty, right? You have been forgiven your sins. Yes, you've been forgiven. But more than that, also you have been reconciled unto God and you are accepted as righteous in the presence of God because of what God has done in Jesus. He took and 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might stand before Him as the righteousness of God. In the righteousness of God. That is your robe that you wear. That's your robe that you wear. You're brought You're brought by God into a state that renders condemnation impossible. God brought you there. A state where it's rendered impossible. This forgiveness is not reversible. Are you one of His? Are you one of His own? Then you have obtained a forgiveness that is not reversible. It's something that is guaranteed. Ephesians chapter 1. Just flip over there with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Getting close to the end. Paul says in verse 13, "...in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth..." The gospel, there's that word again, of your salvation, and believed in Him. There's that word, believe again. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first and also the Greek. Here it is. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, or the down payment, if you will, of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it, what? To the praise of the glory of God. There is the guarantee. And not only that, you've been sealed. Have you ever sealed an envelope, put it in the mailbox, and the authority of the federal postal system is going to keep anybody from breaking that seal? It is not going to be broken until that Package or that envelope is in the presence of the one that it was intended to be in the presence of, and you have been sealed by the power of God you have been sealed with the promised holy Spirit to go and be brought into the presence of God and it 's guaranteed uh, it's also we see that same thought in second Corinthians chapter one look there, second corinthians chapter one <clears throat> I think it's verse 22. Yes. And just notice these words. Well, let's start in verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him, notice that, in Him, through Him, that we utter our Amen to God. What for? For His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. God establishes us. By the promised Holy Spirit, God seals us. God has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts, here's the word again, as a guarantee. (laughs) Praise God. I can't help but rejoice. This has been such a joyful study for me. Joyful study. And so, we have this guarantee You're brought by God, I'll say this again, into a state that renders condemnation impossible. You are have a forgiveness that is not reversible because the righteousness in which you stand is divine righteousness. It's God's gift to you. It is Christ's righteousness. Look over again in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We were a people who were dead in our trespasses, according to verse 1. Trespasses and sin. Dead people. We walked in that. We followed the course of this world. We were under the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We were, dropped down a little bit, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, oh, praise God for these words. But God, being rich in mercy, Why? Of the great love with which He loved us, when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ. Know this, that by grace you've been saved, and you've been, what? You're raised up with Him, and you're seated with Him in the heavenly places you are in Christ. Why? So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He is lavishing His grace upon us. It says back in Ephesians chapter 1, lavished His grace upon us. It is a... It is a righteousness that we have received, and it is divine. First, P- Second Peter chapter one speaks of that also. <clears throat> the Word of God is so full of this. I just had to pick just here and there so that we can get this and, and t- prayerfully understand what God is saying to us. Second Peter chapter one verse three says this: His divine power. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godlessness. Nothing is left out, friends. Nothing is left out. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we cease to be sinners. No, indeed. As John Newton says, I'm a great sinner, but I serve a very great Savior, a merciful Savior. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul is speaking to Timothy about himself. Well, let's just look there too. I'm sorry I'm making you flip so much, but it'll good it's good for you. You'll learn where some books are at here. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Is it that Timothy? <laughs> Hold on a second, guys. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul's speaking to Timothy and he says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, what for? To save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. But I've received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What I want you to see is that Paul says, it's, it's not that I was a sinner. I am the chief of sinners. I still am a sinner. He recognized that. He recognized that he had, read Romans chapter 7, struggles in the flesh, things that he had to deal with. I am the chief, the foremost of sinners. That's still going on. But he serves a grateful and a faithful and a merciful high priest, a a Savior. Iniquities, my friends, they will prevail. And you know that they prevailed in your life. But there is a continual, listen to me, there is a continual forgiveness to Cancel these. I am covered in a perfect righteousness and the ever-flowing blood of the everlasting covenant washes all my guilt away. All my guilt away. And as a result of that, my peace with God is not broken. Even though I know I've messed up and I cry out to God, I know my peace with God is not broken. Why is that? Because Jesus in John chapter 14, for one, in one instance, speaks to His disciples and He gives them something. He gives it to them and no man's going to take it away. In the last John chapter thirteen through seventeen, or the very last hours of the last night that Jesus spent with these men who were his disciples, and he wanted so much to say so many things to encourage them because he's about to leave, but he knows that they're going to be left to struggle continually with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're going to be persecuted, and they're going to be uh, people. That don't, the flesh, the world, and the devil is going to be against them and he knew that they were going to struggle but he says to them I leave you I give you my peace not as the world gives it do I give it but I give you my peace so don't let your hearts be troubled here he even speaks to them in that chapter as his little children my little children he calls them I give you my peace don't worry I've got you don't worry I'm showing you the father the father has you and so we believe him That we have his peace. And as a result of that believing, we believe as Abraham believed. And guess what? Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so it is with us. And we see the result we rejoice in, spoken of to us in Romans chapter 4. Turn back there with me. Verses 23 through 5.3. Let's read that together. Romans chapter 24. Verse 23. Speaking of Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, Paul is setting forth an example. He believed God. And it was before circumcision that he was counted righteous. Before he was baptized, he was counted righteous. Years before he ever received circumcision. And now Paul says... But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Why? He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. And therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained, also obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in this grace that's been given to us because Jesus died, lifted up for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification, friends, and now we have faith with God. We have an anchor that holds for us within the veil, Hebrews 6, and that is Christ who's entered the veil before us. And you know how this vessel that's outside the veil right now as we're headed toward the veil is held? It's held by a cable that's connected to the anchor that holds within the veil that's held to solid rock. And that cable is faith, which by the way is a gift of God. He has a hold of us by the gift of faith that He's given unto us and we are secure in the one in whom we believe. Who has a hold of us? It's a gift of God. He's given it to us. That we might be held tightly, securely, unmovingly by our anchor, our great high priest who's entered the veil on our behalf. That's wonderful news. Wonderful news. We do sin. But we have an advocate with the Father. And so we ask, Who? Who? can demand the execution of the penalty, our text. Who shall condemn? Who has a right to do it? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, let me tell you, it's not the angels. The angels are not doing that. The angels look down when David Lovett was saved, and all the angels in heaven in heaven rejoice because a soul was saved. The angels say among themselves, "Well, I know the deeds may be struggling, but wait, I've seen the shepherd with that man on his shoulders and he's put him safely within the fold of the sheep, and no man, since he knows he's one of the sheep, will take him out of the shepherd's hands. He can't do it. Yes. Not the angels. They see this and they go, wait, we're ministering spirits. (laughs) Let us go out. Let us help. We're ministering spirits. It's not the angels who shall condemn, who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It's not the devils. They would if they could and they try, but we know what do we know the first thing about the devil and his imps? That they're a bunch of liars. He's been one from the beginning. They can't do it, my friends. Not the devils. They would, but they can't. And so, the prey that would be theirs has been taken from the roaring lion's jaws. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He may think, oh, I've got him now. I cast him into this lion's den like old Daniel. But guess what? In the lion's den happened. The mouth of the roaring lion was shut by the power of God. He would, but he can't. He can't. The praise has been taken from the roaring lion. Now, the law, the law might try to condemn, the law might condemn, might have, but why? what's happened with the law? It's been satisfied. The demands have been answered. The law has even been exalted as something holy. Why? Because it accomplished its purpose as a tutor and as a schoolmaster and as a guardian that leads us to whom? Christ. It leads us to Him. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Look there with me at verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Help me with that. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? No, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those, what? Who believe. The gospel of the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And so then, the law was what? Our guardian. When? Until when? Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor, a schoolmaster, a guardian. Why? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith. We are the sons of God. We are the adopted sons of God. John 3, 1, I think it is, Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Because He loved us and propitiation was made that we might be called the sons of God. We're His. We've been born in His kingdom. We're His sons. We're His sons. And so, if we are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, the law has no claim and can can gain nothing by accusing us. We've been acquitted. And our acquittal is a righteous acquittal. Our acquittal is one in which the law, if you will, rejoices because the purpose has been fulfilled. Purpose has been fulfilled. And so here's what I want you to mark in the last few minutes. Mark well. Consider how completely and satisfactory the challenge is. For the words of our text are not so much a question as they are a challenge. Who shall bring a charge? Any charge against God's elect. Who is it that condemns? And so we issue that challenge. We issue it this morning it's a, because it's a righteous challenge. This is a challenge that's not come from someone who through his might and through his religiosity Thinks to baffle right and triumph over the law, and thus it become in just being a religious man, a mechanical man, as something that Jesus called a whitewashed tomb and full of dead men's bones. That's not where this challenge is coming from. No at all. No, it's from someone who sees all righteousness fulfilled in Christ by the very sentence that acquits Him. He's the one who looks and he sees Jesus taking His place, dying for His sins. He looks at the cross and he beholds Christ. And he's like the thief on the cross who hadn't known anything, but suddenly he turns to Jesus after having cussed him and lived a life of prodigality and debauchery and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he was such a good guy? (laughs) I think not. I think not. Because of Christ. He was robed in the righteousness of Christ. Alistair Beggs gets a wonderful thought on that when he says when he, <laughs> he says, When that guy got to heaven and he's at Peter's gates, we hear Peter's gates and the pearly gates, and everybody asked him, the people ask him, Peter asked him, What are you doing here? He says, I don't know. All I can tell you is that the guy on the center cross. Said he'd meet me here today. That's what I'm doing here. The guy on the center cross said he'd meet me here today. And somehow or other, here I am. (laughs) Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mark it well. This challenge is from one who sees all righteousness fulfilled fulfilled by the very sentence that acquits him. He sees that he's unable to contribute anything toward his own acquittal. No, it's not that I believe by the grace of God and do works and I'm justified. Nope. I believe by the grace of God. I'm justified. And I do works. That's the way that works. Right there. And it's not works righteousness that way. It's just, a, it's just a fruit of who I am and what I am in Christ and what Christ is doing in me. That's it. That's all it is. It's, you can't help but bear this fruit. You can't do it. Somebody asked me just yesterday, why do you? I said, I don't know. I just got to. I've just got to preach. I've just got to tell somebody about Jesus. Wherever I go, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, it's going to happen. Praise God for it. Anyhow, this man has seen, who issues this challenge, he has seen God's righteousness and His righteous way of justifying the unrighteous, and so he has found deliverance. We've got to go back to Romans 3 again. For me to give some substance of that, Romans chapter three again. I know an amazing statement is made there, and someone told me, and I don't, and I think it was Bill who told me this that we're about to quote a verse that was Augustine's favorite verse in the Scripture. That's a good one because the Holy Spirit through Paul quotes it go there and look when I'm saying he's seen God's righteous way of justifying the unrighteous and so he's found deliverance from condemnation. He sees that no one comes unto the Father but by the Son and no one can come into the son unless the Father draws him John 6:44. but look here chapter three where do I start Lord help me let's just understand that God, I've got a note up here the top of my Bible, is the just justifier who justifies the ungodly through faith. Justifies the ungodly through faith. Listen to this. Verse 24, chapter 3, Romans. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And so... It was to show, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, who believes in Jesus Christ. And then he asked a question in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather? Chapter 4, verse 1, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him. It was put... In the notebook, he had an account that had something in it. It was counted to him as righteousness. And now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, listen, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. Righteousness, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous in apart from the work, his works. He says, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. How very thankful I am for that. How very thankful I am for that. He sees that the only way of salvation is God's way of salvation, God's way of righteousness. It's a challenge that every righteous being responds to. It's a challenge that is so righteous that your own conscience, when awakened and enlightened by the Holy Spirit at the most enlightened moment, will rest satisfied and unalarmed. Why? Because Christ has given you rest. I see that I am not that man that is poor in spirit. I see that I am not that man who's so meek that I'll inherit the earth. I see that I might not be that man that's merciful. I see that I'm not that man who does hunger and thirst after righteousness. I see that I'm not that man who's a peacemaker that's not pure in heart. I see that I'm not. And I hate that I'm not. But I praise God that He's made me me to want to be that man and my security is not in that I am that man but who I am in Christ Jesus who is making me that man through the process of sanctification yes so righteous is this that none can answer what I'm saying to you this day except those who reject God's way of saving the lost and forgiving the condemned. The only way. And it's a holy challenge. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's a holy... That's from a man who's like this. He's, it's not from someone who's seeking to sin that grace may abound the more. No. I don't want to sin. I hate sin. It's, I, I'm not just... Dan, okay, I've got liberty to do this and I've got liberty to do that and I'm still okay. No, my whole life has changed. I'm dead to sin. I've died to sin. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me now. In the life that I now live, I live my faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I want to live worthy of my Master <laughs> because I love Him. It's not from someone who's going, oh, I can do this and get away with it, that grace may abound. And we say, well, we're sin abound, grace abounds the more. That is true. Aren't you glad? But the sinner, we, the people who are blessed see more than the fact that they are sinners and that... Sin is bad and that they don't deserve, but they also see, the blessed man sees who they are in Christ. That even though that is true of them, there's another truth that exists because of who they are in Christ. It's a holy totally challenge. It's not from someone I'm describing, but it's from someone, if you will, Paul who was very much a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. And there wasn't a more religious guy in Jerusalem. He was so religious, the Pharisees were probably glad to get rid of him. he go down there and take care of this sick. It was Paul who saw that this is God's way of deliverance Deliverance from sin. This is God's way of making him hate sin. God's way of forgiveness. God's way of forgiveness brings out all the heinous, loathsomeness of sin. And he shows it to be the enemy of God and the sinner. Sin is your enemy, friend. The enemy your enemy personally the enemy of your wife the enemy of your children the enemy of your husband the enemy of your grandchildren the enemy of all that is around you sin is your enemy and guess what else it will do it will make you dumb as a stump stupid I know I've been there nobody's been any stupider than me Oh, listen to me. And so, the man who says, who shall bring any charge against me? Who is the man? Who's the one who's going to condemn me? Now, what did he say? He says, now by the mercy of God, I've been born to a living hope. I have hope where before I didn't have hope. I have hope where before I was a stranger to the covenant of promise. I have hope where before I was a man who was in the world and without God and thus in the world and a man without hope. And now I've been born to a living hope. I've been, am being, and will be delivered from sin for sin has received its death blow in my life. It's received its death blow. The death of death and the death of Christ is a reality where his people are concerned. John Owen says that. And now what happens? Love and a free pardon, free grace, will do what fear, uncertainty, and a continuously unsatisfied law could never do. It's never satisfied but God's satisfied with us because His satisfaction rests in Christ. Now that I know who I am in Him, forgiven, justified, adopted, Son of God, I'm free to focus on the one question. This other's been taken care of. Christ has taken care of it. God's opened my eyes to it. How then shall I glorify my God? How then? How then will I honor Christ as holy in my life? How then will I always do those things like Christ did that are well-pleasing to the Father? How can I serve Him by a holy life and enjoy Him forever? That becomes the question. You're secure in who He is. And it's a joyful challenge. It's a joyful challenge. The guy who makes this challenge who will bring a charge against God's elect, against me? Who's the one who condemns? Coming us comes from a soul that is full of gladness. I pray you're glad this morning. It comes from a soul that's full of gladness, a soul that's been delivered from the fear of death, hell, and the grave. It comes from a soul that is delivered from the terror, the the of wrath and the anger of God and the uncertainties of the future our future is certain our future is secure because we know whom we have believed in and He, we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we committed unto him against that day or any day we know that and that's the eternal life to know him that makes that secure in our life who is Jesus Christ The one true God. My friends, the psalmist says this way, This is the day the Lord has made. And what will I do? I will rejoice and be glad in it. Look in your concordance. Look in your strong. And just look up the word glad and gladness or rejoicing. And see, it's just full of it. It's just full of it. And so, let me just say, to be forgiven all sin, to be clothed with infinite Righteousness! what a wonderful gladness that is to be as thoroughly assured of the favor of God as formerly of His displeasure I'm assured of that guess who that happened to in Isaiah chapter 6 in Isaiah 41 he got it again in Isaiah chapter 46, this man's eyes were open to who God was and what was his reaction with all of heaven saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty and everything shaking around him. Woe is me, he says. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. What shall I do? Well, he didn't do anything but ask that question, and God had put it in his heart to ask that question. And God put an angel and grabbed a fire, a coal from the fire, and touched his lips and said, "Your sins are forgiven." And now he's as thoroughly assured of the favor of God. His formula of his displeasure. And now God said, I'm going to send you to some folks that's not going to listen to anything you're saying. But you go. I'll go. You ever been there? Believe me, I have. And you will be. You will be. If you preach the gospel. If you share Christ. To know that the darkness of wrath is passed away. Everything is clear. Everything is bright. The gloom of utter darkness is removed that Jude speaks of in verse 13. There's not a mist, not even a mist to block the light of reconciliation. Not even a small cloud or mist to block the light of the love that shines down from the heaven of heavens. And I can close my eyes, my friend, and I can see His bow. I can see his body. Thank God. And I would say, oh my, my, my. What a joy unspeakable and full of glory that is. Joy unspeakable. Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? And this is an unanswerable challenge. It's spoken boldly. It's spoken clearly and distinctly. It's spoken loud as from a town crier. You know what the town crier was? Used to go through the streets, right? Yeah. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who gave you that bell? He did. Who told you to say that? He did. I'm a crier. That's all in the world I am. I'm ringing my bell. I'm ringing God's bell. Crying. to Hear this. And live Can these bones live? You bet. You bet they can live. They can live. They can live. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's what the crier is saying. But no one can take it up. Heaven's quiet. Hell is quiet. This is the Holy Spirit through Paul's challenge. Who will answer the Holy Spirit? Who shall condemn? Who shall lay anything to our charge? Who would dare do that? It's an unanswerable then. It's unanswerable even now as it was then. Because I would say to you that from the first moment you believed, you were entitled to take this challenge up. From the first moment you believed. And it shall be still unanswerable when you go to the grave. When you're in the caverns of the tomb. That tomb will echo with the sound. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. Shall death separate me from this love? Who will bring a charge against me, the elect of God? Who shall condemn? First Corinthians 15:54 through 57. Go home and read it for your homework. It was unanswerable. It will be unanswerable when we're in the grave and it shall be unanswerable in the day of the Lord. Even standing before the judgment seat, surrounded by angels or surrounded by devils with their fingers pointing at us, and we can and we may lift our voices and we can say as we rejoice in the glory of our Lord, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Jesus has died. Who? This is not a presumption, my friends. No, no, not at all. It is a statement of simple faith. That's what it is. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul speaks of not having a righteousness of his own, but one that he's received from Christ. He was righteous, he thought, but now he understands I have no righteousness of my own. No righteousness of my own. And now if you look back to Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 and you think about it. This is the gospel. This is it. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel. And the righteous is revealed from faith. Why? For faith that the righteous might live by faith. Here's the righteousness of God. That you might live by faith. By faith, you might live righteously. That's how it is. And so I'm closing. This truth is meant for every believer. And this is a sad, sad, sad state of affairs when something is lacking and something is lacking in a faith which falters here. And I know a lot of people that it's faltering in that don't believe it. I believe the gospel should lead the one who believes it to adopt this bold and blessed attitude. Go home and read hymn number 517 for your homework in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, which is, I know whom I believed. Read it. My friends, I believe the gospel is meant to assure the believing soul of forgiveness, of justification, and of eternal life. Yes, it is. Our right to take up and declare this challenge and this statement is simply the right of one who has believed the gospel It's not our graces, it's not our evidences that makes us bold to speak even though we want graces and evidences. It's not that I'm a holy man or an old Christian, which I am, or a deeply humble man, which I wish I was, a deeply humble soul. It's not because of those reasons that I can declare this to you this morning. I want to be a holy man. I want to die more of a Christian tomorrow than I am today. And I want to be more and more humble before the presence of God. But here it is. I do what I'm doing and declare what I'm declaring because Christ has told me to preach the gospel that by His grace I have believed. But it's no presumption. Oh, oh, uh. How much we lose from not seeing the sure, steadfast, immutable, and high standing into which a believed gospel brings us. It brings us. It, I would say, is definitely presumption to rest in assurance or issue a challenge like I'm bringing this morning because of your own graces or your own work. That is presumption. But it is no presumption to rest or to issue such a challenge if all is founded upon the gospel of the grace of Of God. Let me read this to you. Why can I say this? Because I rest in Christ. 277 in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. And when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin because a sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on Him. And pardon me. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am. The King of glory and of grace. One with Himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. My life is hid with Christ.